Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I am your host, Cody Kelly. It has been an interesting week as we head into Valentine's, as we head into the NBA All-Star break. Politically speaking, uh, what a shakeup that has occurred. We're going to get into it to the results in um, New Hampshire, uh, to Andrew Yang dropping out, to the possibility of uh, federal chairman Jerome Powell either resigning or being uh, replaced to the merger between Sprint and T-Mobile. And then a new update uh, in the uh, Jesse Smollett case uh, that is currently developing right now. Uh, but stay tuned for another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. Andrew Yang, uh, entrepreneur Andrew Yang, has decided to drop out of the uh, run for the uh, Democratic nominee uh, for president. Uh, Let me talk about, first of all, what went right in his campaign. He was the first uh, major political party candidate to champion a universal basic income. Uh, This idea is nothing new. Thomas Paine championed it uh, in the uh, 16th and 17th century. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King championed it in 1967 uh, in his book, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, This is a philosophy that is becoming more and more of a necessity, an economic necessity, as we see the rise of automation and the basically uh, disallowance or, or eradication of what I would call the average jobs, as you see more of the self service jobs being taken away. Uh, you think of your cashier, you think of your uh, tellers, things that do not require a lot of uh, what I would call uh, specialized education, uh, really being automated. And even things that are or traditionally have been more of a stead way and a, a, a plot for uh, the middle class income is also being attacked. If you think of the, uh, you know, digitize the basically digitization and digitalization of even teaching. You think, you know, how many stuff can now be uh, visibly assessed and viewed via YouTube, the need for a day-to-day instructor or teacher, uh, I think is at risk. So obviously universal basic income is needed, whether you think it's needed, you know, 10, 20 years from now or right now to um, basically offset the current or projected fallout uh, from that time, uh, then that's totally up to you and your preference. I say personally, the idea of universal basic income, first of all, is a citizen's dividend. It's the basically benefit for belonging to a certain country. So in, in this instance, you know, being a citizen of the United States of America, being within good standing, being of the age of 18 or older, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be certain criteria, but basically ensures that um, you will have this just because you are here, right? So uh, it counteracts poverty. It, you, you, you know, it's for all income levels. So it's not a a uh, lesser income uh, initiative or a middle income initiative. It's just because you belong to uh, obviously the United States, and obviously from this because it's to offset certain imbalances that are systemically implemented. It's not going to change the tide, right? You're not going to all of a sudden see, you know, just Bentleys on the street. You know, it's it, it allows for flexibility and room to breathe. And it would really be a great help 
uh, to, a, I would say, a very large demographic that are literally living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, so I, I give it to Andrew Yang, champion is allowing this to really be the the fuel to his engine, uh, implementing the understanding and the, the warning signs of a fourth industrial revolution through automation. Uh, when it comes to what went wrong, I think Andrew Yang was defeated uh, by politics itself. And what I mean by that, uh, you know, obviously not accepting the big money donors, trying to create a more equal and and, and haven experience within uh, voter support and campaign fundraising um, is idealistically great and something we should all strive to. But because, unfortunately, the way the qualifying, you know, works and the way campaign uh, funds are needed, it, it works to your disadvantage. So I think politically he was just beat out by the system at hand. I don't think it was an issue of charisma. I think Andrew Yang is very comfortable being himself. He doesn't have to be uh, a very charismatic president like President Barack Obama. He doesn't have to be, uh, I guess even you could say Trump in that manner. He doesn't have to be, um, you know, overly in, in intriguing, like he just captivates the scene. He was comfortable being himself. And authenticity to me is key. You know, you don't have to be a duplicate of anybody. You can just be an original of yourself. So I, I really think, you know, it wasn't an issue of uh, charismatic appeal. It wasn't an issue of his, his electability. I don't think anybody saw him as something like, oh, you know, and the question is America ready, which is a very, you know, to me, ignorant question. Um, but, you know, I think Andrew Yang's ultimate lapse was just because of the system at hand um, and unfortunately having to play within that system. It doesn't mean, you know, 2028 or 2024, he can't be, you know, a viable candidate. It just means that, you know, um, Andrew Yang, what I will say politically, he has to become more knowledgeable about uh, cultural issues and be able to speak to that. And I don't mean he has to become polished in the art of political oratory or political, you know, gander. I'm not saying he has to become a professional politician, but the lack of polish was very visible. Um, and I don't personally think that worked against him. It didn't uh, sway my vote in a negative way. Uh, but to some, he might seem not as in tune with the ability to communicate and effectively speak toward certain issues. Uh, but I do believe he had the understanding of what America needs uh, what is really going to be the quintessential threat to its existence now and for the next however many years. Uh, so hats off to Andrew Yang. He ran an amazing campaign. Uh, I was thoroughly impressed. I, I think he would have been an awesome candidate, awesome president. Uh, we'll see what the future holds. Senator Bernie Sanders won the New Hampshire primary. Alan Smith goes on to write that Bernie Sanders has won the New Hampshire Democratic primary by a margin of about 4,000 votes or less than two percentage points over Pete Buttigieg, according to NBC News projection. Sanders represents neighboring Vermont, has been leading in the polls, so his victory isn't a surprise. Amy Klobuchar is actually the surprise. Uh, Amy ended up taking third place. Uh, former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Elizabeth Warren were headed toward Poor showings and did not get any delegates. With 86% of the precincts reported, Sanders at 26.1% or 65,484 votes. 
Buttigieg was at 24.2% or 60,874 votes. Klobuchar had a whopping 19.8%, which is 49,768 votes. I think, my thoughts, I think the the shocker is in Amy Klobuchar. First of all, hats off to Senator Amy Klobuchar for, first of all, staying in the race despite low polling. Um, it's not over till it's over. And I think Amy demonstrated and, and showed that just because, you know, you're polling low and you don't have the brand awareness as some of the other candidates doesn't mean that the race is over. doesn't mean that you don't stop or, you know, you don't stop fighting for the causes that you care about. doesn't mean that you quit. You know, obviously you have to, you know, count all things into perspective or put our things into perspective and primarily issue of finance uh, when it comes to, you know, continuing a campaign. But I think Amy showed that if you have enough gumption and wherewithal, you can power through. Now, obviously, she didn't win, but getting third place, beating out Joe Biden and, and, and rising star Elizabeth Warren is huge. It shows that, A, you know, her electability, quote unquote, is there. Uh, people have responded to Amy Klobuchar. Uh, she's been consistent. <laughs> if anything, she hasn't flip-flopped on any issue or stance that she's made. She has been the same candidate. Uh, you know, from the beginning till now, and no matter how many SNL skits are done and, 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 you know, and represent her, um, Amy has stayed consistent. And I think in politics and in life, consistency is an undervalued virtue. Uh, so, you know, hats off to Amy, uh, hats off to Senator Sanders. He looks like he's sweeping through. Obviously the next focus is the South Carolina primary where, uh, they're expecting great turnout for Joe Biden, but you know, the, the numbers never lied. Voters ultimately have the last say, and we'll see what happens. Some uh, tantalizing and startling news. If uh, President Donald Trump wins the re-election in November of this year, he could throw the economy into a disarray with an assault on the Federal Reserve as he seeks to remake the central bank in his own image. Uh, he believes that he has a mandate to fire Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, said Mitchell Goldberg, uh, president of the Client First Strategy. Trump has threatened to dismiss Powell, whom he tapped in 2017 to head the Fed. But Powell has responded by saying that he believes he cannot be fired without cause and that he will not resign. Firing or demoting Powell would be legally fraught or fraudulent, as some suggest that Trump might not want to risk losing an almost inevitable court fight if he tried to fire Powell before his term as chairman is up in 2022. It is encouraging to see that some of the members of the Senate are voicing skepticism, but Judy Shelton said Kenneth Kuttner, an economics professor at Williams College in Williamson, Massachusetts, said that's slightly reassuring. My, my thoughts, Jerome Powell has really been the voice of reason in this economic boom and has tried his hardest to create some sense of stability to um, protect us against a possible fallout or recession uh the only reason that there is such an attack on jerome powell is because he has not taken the wheels off of certain protections and certain interest rates and jerome has been really an advocate for stable consistent growth not volatility and you have to appreciate that about jerome powell uh, he has stood up and has voiced his concern and has not backed down in any way, shape, or form. Um, and this is what you might call too much meddling. You know, the old expression, if it's not broke, don't fix it. 
you know, I, I really think applies here. You know, obviously things are going well. The the jobs report came out in January uh, 2020. The U.S. economy added 225,000 jobs. It was only expected to add 125,000 jobs. So, you know, it's 100 over par. Uh, U.S. unemployment rose only 0.1%. It's the 3.6%, which is still an all-time low. And the only reason is because you had more enter into the workforce. So it's not because, you know, there's... The economy is losing jobs. You just have now a larger group to pull from. Uh, so basically, all things stay the same, and there are more jobs. Uh, with that being said, why, you know, remove the captain from the ship? Let Jerome Powell finish out his term in 2022. If there is reason to create change, then at that point, seek it. Uh, but to do anything prior to that, to me, is irresponsible and an overuse and abuse of power. Uh, so my thoughts is, you know, you have to allow the government to function within its own capacities that it was designed to function as, uh, to have so much uh, sway and involvement with something that governs our economic currency and economic uh, situation within the United States and ultimately within the world is utterly dangerous. And this is an utterly dangerous move that I hope the Senate can have enough gumption and enough wherewithal to say, hey, enough is enough. All right, off to some business news. Sprint and T-Mobile have finalized their plans. It's finally been approved for their merger. The $26 billion T-Mobile Sprint merger, which has been cleared, one of the last hurdles of of approval, includes several pledges to keep regulators happy. But the unification of the two of the four largest phone service providers in the U.S. leaves some questions for consumers. One of the questions being, is my phone bill going up? T-Mobile has promised phone bills will remain the same for the next three years. At the Federal Communications Commission noted as much as when it approved the deal last year. However, not everyone is convinced given that the company must improve profitability for its shareholders. Uh, So some of my thoughts, A, I'm a T-Mobile customer, so this kind of alarms me. Uh, on the good side, we'll have more towers and probably better reception. On the bad side, uh, when a merger, when $26 billion is spent, they have to recover that and make a profit. So, yes, phone bills are going up. So it's time for me to look for another uh, cell phone provider. And the tendency of this looking like a monopoly is effervescent and obviously apparent. If two of the of the four combined, that means there's only two left. <laughs> Uh, So, obviously, I think it's the government's responsibility to make sure that there is a viable option that is not part of the monopolistic uh, four or now three, uh, and that this company can arise and provide quality phone service and internet to individuals without the sticker shock. What, What ends up happening is... You, as an organization, you can only really grow three ways. The first way is through mergers and acquisitions. The second way is just organic growth, you know, customers, selling product, things of that nature. Uh, and from these interesting ways, and then the third being, you know, members. So you have mergers and acquisitions being number one, products and services, so whatever you're selling or distributing, in this case, phone service, and then third being the members uh, itself or the customers, your loyal base, really are the only three ways any organization can grow. There's only three ways, and it's really like 2.5 or 2 and then 2.8. So when companies get to a certain size, they basically have tapped out and they can no longer 
go beyond their brand. They can no longer create a new messaging that will attract new customers that they pretty much have become stagnant. The next step is to merge or to acquire, uh, either be bought or to buy, right? Uh, so from this methodology, you could form a bigger giant. Uh, you can increase operational efficiencies because obviously if you're trying to go after certain demographics, uh, you don't have to worry about you know opening up new operations. They already have their facilities, already have their personnel in place, and now it's all about consolidation. So usually with a merger acquisition, there's usually a layoff, you know? <laughs> so because you're talking about streamlining because you've gotten bigger you now have become vertically integrated and the thing is that you lack that a competitor might have done better than you they can now you can now do because of the uh newly formed merger or acquisition uh you know so yay yay to the organization but hey hey to the consumer right uh the consumer ultimately will suffer if the organization the newly formed organization is not implemented a strategy to not gouge the current consumer and i don't know no plans have been announced t-mobile hasn't come out with some new commercial like hey you know if you remember with us we're going to reduce your bill by 50 percent right now you know nothing has really been assessed or implemented or even talked about in that manner uh, but my hope is that this merger is not just for profit's sake, right, at the expense of their loyal base, uh, that this merger will lead to better service and better options for all consumers. And if they can do this, then I don't think there'll be an issue with the merger. If this cannot be done, and ultimately now you can now, you know, dictate to the market what the price is going to be, uh, it just makes it, you know, bad for everybody. And that's when a Uber or a disruptor needs to come to the market and say, hey, look, they want to merge, you know, now you don't have to, you know, a dollar a month for phone service and internet with the highest levels of reception and connectivity, you know, something along, something along that uh, focus and stature would be the appropriate fix if this merger goes sideways. So uh, hats off to T-Mobile and Sprint. Obviously, if you're a shareholder, expect uh, to see your dividends increase. Uh, if you own T-Mobile stock, I'm sure uh, the valuation of it. Well, they sold $26 billion. I'm sure it's not an all-cash deal. It's probably a stock deal. But ultimately, over the long run, this will be beneficial for you. Jesse Smollett um, is once again facing charges in Chicago in connection with a January 2019 police report in which he claimed he was a victim of a racist and homophobic hate crime. Smollett was indicted by a grand jury on six disorderly conduct charges. According to the Office of Special Prosecutor Dan Webb, the 37-year-old actor is already facing a $130,000 lawsuit by the city of Chicago. The cost of the resources, police and prosecutor, prosecutors claim it took to investigate the Smollett's false charge. A Cook County grand jury has returned a six-count indictment charging Jesse Smollett with making four separate false reports to Chicago Police Department officers related to his false claims that he was the victim of a hate crime, knowing that he was not the victim of a crime, officers said. The former Empire star has told police in January 2019 he was attacked by two men who hurled racial and homophobic slurs at him and wrapped a rope around his neck uh, in the Streeterville neighborhood. This is so sticky and so gray because no matter how you look at it, it sucks. Nobody should feel threatened or in danger uh, for any reason, for their lifestyle decision, for their ethnicity, their race. Uh, for being a member 
of the LGBTQT community for any reason. You know, hatred is never cool. And then on the flip side, has there been enough investigation to verify these reports? What if there are the reports that have been charged are correct and that this was falsified information and that the charges are fraudulent and therefore uh, actor Smollett um, is actually guilty? Then it raises another gray area because look how many people have suffered because of these reasons, have suffered uh, racial hate, uh, hatred and, and slander. And, you know, you know I, I think it's here. I think it's great. I don't know what the city, obviously the city of Chicago is trying to correct a mistake that they feel like went under the rug. Uh, my issue is, is this done for justice or is this done for spite? Is this done to set a precedent that, you know, hey, no matter what, you know, we need to make sure that something like this can never happen again. Whether it was for Smollett or against, uh, I, th- I think the course of action here is you. The city of Chicago has to decide to pursue or not to pursue, and then count up the costs. Um, if it pursues, it must do its due diligence in collecting everything that is ultimately factual and only factual. If it decides not to pursue, then it has to set a precedent that hatred A will not be tolerated, but also falsifying reports will not be tolerated and that a community of truth and verity or verity or, you know, which is just truth has to be the standard. Um, either case, to me, there's no winner. Um, it's, it's so deep in the mud one doesn't want to step in it uh my hope is that somehow truth will come out whatever that truth is and that nothing is done out of haste or out of spite or as a way to say hey you know uh, whether for or against in either way right like due diligence is taking its time and that due process is implemented and that it can be put to bed and once it is put to bed leave it uh because over time, I feel like details become more muddled um, and that you start relying more on hearsay than fact, you know, factual representation. And then if what what really is the point, you know, and, and that could be debated and I'm not here to argue for nor against. Um, I just think it's a very hairy situation and. I think Chicago, the city that I love so much, has enough to worry about that I don't know if it's appropriate to uh, take away one set of resource for this. Obviously, nothing should, you know, you know, nobody should just feel above the law or or things should not be hurled against somebody and, you know, justice doesn't come that way. But I, I also believe that um, there are more pressing issues and the more pressing issues need attention to. Hey, this has been a great episode of It Is With It Is Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. I love sharing the news, engaging in these thought-provoking uh, really developments and just kind of getting uh, intrigued and to learn more and engage with you. You can reach out to me, connect with me on Instagram, cvmk33. I'd love to hear from you, but until next time, thanks.